What is going on, everybody? This is Mr. Fretz from the Game Changer Podcast and the Fretzelmania Podcast. Welcome to the premiere edition of the 20 Bell Salute exclusively on the Russell Attic Radio Radio Patreon, where I not only look at the WWE 20 years ago this month, I also cover notable movie, video game, TV, and uh, music releases from this month in history. So join me in the Wayback Machine into summer of 1999. I'm going to start off with a notable movie. Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, Paul Rubens, Cuba Gooding Jr. in the superhero spoof Mystery Men, where this song was born. Somebody won't tell me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't... Yes, everyone's favorite meme song, Smash Mouth's All Star, actually comes from this movie. Now, while it is connected to Shrek due to Smash Mouth's cover of I'm a Believer, you can actually see footage from from this movie in the music video. It starts off with a bunch of uh, just blue-collar people, work workaday people uh, with superhero powers or wannabe superhero powers. And for, for example here, the start of this music video had this guy with a bunch of waffle irons, like, you know, I'm the waffler, or this guy was dressed up as Elvis. And then uh, you know, the lead singer from Smash Mouth just says, uh, yeah, frig off with you. You're done. Throw him out. Uh, Paul Rubens, which I believe was his first movie since Pee Wee Herman. And I believe he was arrested for masturbating in a porno theater. Uh, isn't that what those things were for? Anyways, um, yeah, this was a movie I haven't revisited in quite some time. But when when this came out, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was really fun. You know, Paul Rubens, for example, he has um, quote unquote superpower was uh, farting. Yeah, he was called the spleen, and you know, I was fifteen when this movie was, re was released, so I thought, yeah, this is pretty funny. Um, the next movie I'm going to briefly cover here because I've only ever seen it once, and I didn't watch it when it came out, and it's a little movie called The Iron Giant from from Disney. I, I don't know if uh, this was one that was connected to Ghibli Studios as well. I forget. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie I watched the entirety of in 2008 when I was getting a root canal done. Now, my dent, well, at least one of my former dentists, the one I used when I was in college, at least until I was 25 because I was still under my mother's insurance coverage. She's a nurse and I was able to get coverage until I was 25. And yeah, that, that was fun. So I don't know if it was the pain from the root canal or the emotion from the movie, but I do believe there was a few, uh, a few shed tears in, in this one. And yeah, it was a, I thought this was a, a very well done movie. It was very, very emotional and very, and very well done. Next we have Detroit Rock City. Now this is just one of those coming of age teenage sex romp movies, but it took place in the 70s and it was all about these kids who 
loved Kiss and wanted to go see a Kiss concert, and you know you had all these uh, preachy parents uh, protesting. He used to say, you know, Kiss stands for Knights in Satan Satan's service, uh, which is bullshit, by the way. And yeah, I wouldn't revisit this movie now. It, at the time, I thought, yeah, this is cool. This is about Kiss. You know, I don't hate Kiss. I yeah, they're 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 a great band. You know, my uh, one of my coworkers here is a is a giant giant Kiss fan, and he gets I think he's seen them uh, a handful of times in concert. And finally, the last movie, at least the last notable movie of August nineteen ninety nine, <clears throat> is uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Haley Joel Osmond in the thriller the sixth sense now this is one of those uh early thrillers that uh, had one of those uh spoiler alert spoiler alert twist endings which i actually forget what it is because i haven't seen this movie since uh summer of 1999 i don't know exactly where i saw it. this must have been one of my many many uh hardware store video rentals you know of course you know my, you know my story about my hometown having a video rental inside of a hardware store and it also included many many wrestling tapes and a giant collection of pornography so i guess you could say that don't say it don't say it don't say it it gave a new meaning to hardware yeah bum 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 i don't apologize for that and for video games, you know, there was only two notable releases, and one of them was uh, Siphon Filter. I believe this was a first or third uh, third-person shooter, you know, along the lines of Perfect Dark 007. At the time, this was uh, it was a big hit for PlayStation, and I think they kind of milked this franchise uh, a little bit too much. And yeah, I haven't revisited this game in quite some time, but one release from this month is one of my all-time favorite games like ever and this song i think should give you a giant clue and nope it is going to show me an advertisement first so i'm going to skip this advertisement right now And if that's not a giant clue already, I don't know what to tell you. Yes, that is Goldfinger's Superman, part of the soundtrack to the premiere, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yes, my uh, just the amount of time I put into this game, the amount of, uh, you know, friendships we developed over, I've, I've developed over this game. It's been... Uh, a long time since I've played the first one. It came out on every major console from the PlayStation 1 and the N64, the Dreamcast, and to the even friggin' Game Boy Color. Although the Game Boy Color version looked a lot more like Skate or Die for the NES, it, it was a franchise that seemingly would not die. Uh, you know, this is a soundtrack that included, uh, I believe, like the Dead Kennedys and Suicidal Tendencies and... Of course, of course, gold, the aforementioned Goldfinger, and later on they would cover uh, such notable bands as Rancid and Blink-182, and th this was just a franchise that shelled out a game, I think, every year until, well, actually fairly recently. Uh, 
this was the summer just before I went into 10th grade. And uh, this that school year, I, I had a locker neighbor who loved this game. And, you know, we bonded over it. We would, you know, go to the locker every morning, talk about, you know, oh, I found the secret tape in uh, Manhattan. Or, like, oh, I found the moon. Like, there's a moon! And we would just mark out all about it and uh it was good time and unfortunately i don't know if it was that school year or the following one uh he was tragically killed in a in a car accident and it was yeah it was a rough day it was a rough time for for my high school at that time because he was a he was a well-known kid brian rest in peace brother uh yeah so more can I say about Tony Hawk? We had this was just the first installment, and this has, if you look at the game today, it has aged terribly, but it's still a good time. I still play uh, Tony Hawk's Underground, which I think was the far superior game in the entire series. Uh, my favorite actually being a tie between Underground 2 and American Wasteland, because in Underground 2, you're kind of in a prank war with uh, Bam Margera and Tony Hawk. You can actually I believe you can actually choose who you join. And I'm like, dude, I'm a, I was a fan of Jackass at that time. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to join Bam Margera. Are you kidding me? That guy was awesome. I, I loved watching, you know, Viva La Bam and Jackass and Haggard and uh, CKY. Although I think watching them in 2019 eyes might be a little, eh, but still yeah tony hawk it's uh my, my friends and i would play horse you know it's a the part of the video game where you uh try and get the sickest and the sickest combo the biggest score in one combo or we would just have score contests uh and just put all of the hours into it i remember not long before this uh getting an issue of playstation magazine you know back when those magazines came with demo discs remember demo discs wow making me feel old here despite the fact my first system was a vic 20 you know a keyboard that you had to plug into your tv put a cartridge or a cassette tape in Ooh, cassettes yeah uh you know skate was a franchise that came a lot later and it was the more realistic like tony hawk was very arcadey, very gimmicky. Like you can turn on moon gravity and land uh, like seven consecutive 900s. And, you know, the 900 is like the hardest trick to land in all of professional skateboarding. Uh, this was also a franchise, I think, that kind of helped launch, uh, you know, skateboarding in into the mainstream. You know, when this game came out, I knew maybe one or two people who owned a skateboard and one of them was my cousin and we just would go, Oh yeah, we're just going to dick around in the driveway and skate and try and land a kickflip and almost break my ankle trying. And then after this, you know, I see everyone with, you know, birdhouse shirts or, uh, you know, Tony Hawk shirts and skateboards and it skateboarding was always in the, in, in popular culture it was kind maybe kind of meta, but this game, I think it kind of launched it a little bit. And then we had, you know, one, two, three, and four. And then when they felt that the 
franchise was getting a little stale. I thought it was getting stale around two or three. Four, I thought was unnecessary, but it was, it was, it was a love letter to the franchise. It was already out. It was, I think the first or second one on the, the following generation, you know, the PS2, the Xbox and the GameCube. And yeah, I had that on the GameCube and it was, it was a good time. But then you revamp the franchise with, with American, not, not American Wasteland. That was the last with Tony Hawk's underground that I think that that turned it on its head. And after American Wasteland, we had Project Eight and the the peripheral that came with the with the Nintendo Wii. And the lesser said about Tony Hawk Pro Skater Five, the better. It that game just broke my heart. Uh, I still kind of want to see a current, a good current gen Tony Hawk game. God, even a re-release of like HD versions of the old games, but then you'd have to worry about things like song licenses and whatnot. So, you know, sadly, this is a relic we leave in the past. I would, I would go grab a modded PS1 just to play this game again. It, it was a good time. And as for songs, well, we have two notable yet terrible songs. <sighs> Palamos by Ricky Martin and Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. These songs were all over the summer of 99. And, you know, me being more of a fan of heavy metal, rock, classic rock, I did not like these songs. But... If they pop up on the radio today, I'll sing along with them because I know all the words probably to them because they're overplayed on my radio station network anyways. So, yeah, be that as it may or whatever that expression is. <laughs> so before I get into the SummerSlam review, I'm just going to talk about where, where I was at this point in time now. 1999, as you all know, as you've listened to my appearances on the Kings of the Rings podcast and most recently my review of King of the Ring 99 on the Game Changer podcast with Nate the Effing Great, good brother, this was the summer I had spinal fusion surgery. You know, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, I had steel rods fused to my spine, and I was I was recovering from this. It was actually took me a full year to quote-unquote, completely recover from it. I couldn't do contact sports for a year. You know, I couldn't take gym in the fall semester. I had to switch out to another class, and the only class that was available that I was allowed to take was drafting, and I hated it. Oh, I almost failed it, too, but I gave it my damnedest. My teacher was very supportive. A teacher I had numerous times in high school. What up, Mr. F.? I don't even know if you're still alive, but anyways, this was this was an era that I'm going to be calling the Dave's Basement Era. My buddy Dave, shout out, uh, he had a wicked basement with a giant TV, air-conditioned, you know, PlayStation, Nintendo hooked in there at all times, and this was one of the first pay-per-views of, of the Dave's Basement Era. Actually... For, unfortunately, the, the first pay-per-view I ever watched at, at my buddy Dave's house was Over the Edge 1999. And if you know your wrestling history, 
you know what tragic event took place that night. I don't, I'm not going to get into it. You, you know what it is. So, yeah. Uh, we watched many, many a pay-per-view. Uh, as we go through the 20-year retrospectives, I'm going to be saying, you know, Dave's Basement a lot, or I'll say, you know, Tales from the Fretz Family VCR because I had friends who had satellite dishes who had those little cards where you can kind of not really, but actually, yeah, steal, quote-unquote, uh, pay-per-views. And at, and I think a little bit down the line, uh, Dave had had this particular particular gimmick. So I'm going to take a break and give a shout-out to my friends at Russell Attic Radio. And I'll be back to start SummerSlam 1999. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Russell Attic Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, what's up, you guys? What is going on, everybody? What up, fam? Hey, it's me. What up, oozes? What's up, guys? This is the Monday Night Delight. Are you looking for a network that brings you all things pro wrestling? Then look no further. Russell Attic Radio brings you a varied source of wrestling content. What's going on, guys? This is Willie T. My name is Mr. Press. This is your resident smart slayer. Search for Wrestle Ad Radio on all major podcast platforms and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast and you are listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. Get ready for a war because you're listening. Come join the war each and every week as we fight to keep wrestling real. What's up, everybody? This is King Ricky Rose and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. 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 SummerSlam 1999 from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shout out to you, Rachel Moon. This was centered around uh, the special guest refereeing of the then current governor of Minnesota, WWE Hall of Famer Jesse the Body Ventura. How about we put a wrestler in the White House? Hey, there's a WWE Hall of Famer in the White House right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, America. My couch is warm. Come on up. So right away, this mat, this started off with actually one of my top 10 favorite SummerSlam matches. I don't know if this was an honorable mention or in my actual top 10. You'll have to go back in to my archives and listen to that. It is... The European and Intercontinental title are both on the line as dual champion D'Lo Brown defends against Jeff Jarrett. Now, we recently had a storyline between D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry where they were tagging together and there was a doctor in, involved saying, you know, Mark Henry, your blood pressure is it's way up high. We got to get you to lose weight. And, you know, D'Lo's, you know, jogging with them and giving them, you know, a nice Nice big veggie plate with a baked potato on it. Oh, could I get some butter? And we had, you know, two titles and two puppies. Oh, Jerry Lawler was on form tonight. And by on form, I mean creepy with a capital C and two capital E's. Now, this was just, I believe this was just before the uh, Miss Kitty, you know, Stacey Carter got involved. This was just before the... Uh, Jeff Jarrett being a misogynist, but he was kind of treating Deborah like crap at this point in time. There was a little bit of dissension. 
smell this uh, between, you know, Jeff Jarrett and Deborah to the point where, you know, Jarrett and Deborah come out to the ring. Uh, Jarrett's yelling at her, you know, telling her to go back, you know, much to the <clears throat> not delight of the crowd chanting asshole because it was the 90s. Oh, wait, they still chant that today at Shane McMahon, the best in the world. Hey, we're going to see a SummerSlam match with, with Shane McMahon here in 1999. I wonder if he has another in the future. Um, <laughs> so we see the classic misogynist uh, Jeff Jarrett. Deborah goes to the back, and then she's uh, you know, in the back talking to D'Lo. So she comes out and accompanies D'Lo to to the ring, much to the delight of the Minneapolis faithful. Now, I don't, uh, I didn't really cover this, you know, move by move. This is just your classic Jeff Jarrett match where he would get in that, you know, that sleeper hold. He would get in his heat. Uh, D'Lo Brown was just a criminally, criminally underrated uh, performer at this point in time. This is a guy I think with a tinge bit more charisma could have been hey maybe a little bit more up the card i mean he was <clears throat> at least in my mind one of the best if not the best european champion ever and right here the intercontinental champion so we had a ref bump or a ref distraction because deborah tits get it puppies woohoo uh comes out mark henry comes out with a guitar and hits D'Lo with it. Heel turn. And Jeff Jarrett walks out with two puppies and two titles. He is the first and I believe one of only two, no, three, <laughs> Eurocontinental champions of, of all time in history. And I think you might know who the third is. It's going to be a man that's going to be debuting a little bit later in, in the year of 1999, and that is Kurt Angle. And D'Lo Brown, I mean, you better recognize. I, I just loved uh, all of both of his themes. You know, the I think you better recognize, and I think at this point in time he had the uh, the danger at the door theme, and, uh, and this is classic. Uh, D'Lo Brown, one of, a low-key favorite uh, of mine. So now we had backstage and edging Christian promo. Uh, this was kind of cringe. I mean, they were relatively new in the WWE. I think they've only been there for about a year apiece. And just, you know, they were still kind of, they were coming out of the brood. You know, Gangrel had recently turned on them and gave us the new brood, which is, of course, the Hardy Boys. Yeah, it was kind of cringe, so they've definitely come a long way. Next up, we have a tag team turmoil match in which the winners receive a tag team title shot the next night on Raw. Remember, remember when pay-per-views had number one contender matches? Those were a good time. So, this was the tag team division in the summer of 1999. This match included... Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, the Acolytes, the ministry team of Viscera and Midian, Draws and Prince Albert, and the Holly Cousins, Crash and Hardcore Holly. Oh, and this was one of the first appearances of the classic Hardy Boys theme. You know, at uh, the previous pay-per-view in June at King of the Ring, 
uh, the Hardy Boys had that awful, you know, uh, kind of squealing pig music that was uh, featured in the N64 classic WrestleMania 2000. Now, starting off this match was Edge and Christian and the Hardys. It has begun, folks. It has begun. The tag team division is here. Finally. The Dudley Boys would debut the next month, and we would have the future of tag team wrestling, at least in the WWE, right there for us. You know, we are just mere months away. No, we're a year away from... Uh, the premier TLC and Lord willing that I'm still doing this in August, 2020, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to cover the year 2000 before we get there. uh, Spoiler alert. Some of 1999 kind of sucks. The attitude era is kind of overrated. Oh crap. Oh crap. Someone heard me. So we had nothing but classic tag team maneuvers here with, with Edge and Christian and the Hardys. We had a nice uh, heel kick from Christian. Gang Girl gets a cheap shot in because, of course, uh, Jeff Hardy hits this wicked springboard moonsault that he used to do at this point in time. This is one of the first times I saw a poetry in motion. And then Edge hit a... Uh, it was like an electric chair into a face crusher. Uh, you know, Paul London did a move like that and called it the waffle face. And Christian comes off the top rope with an elbow that I thought resembled a little bit of the Briscoe brothers froggy bow. So the Hardy boys are eliminated. And next up is Viscera and Midian. Oh, the SummerSlam 94-95 legend Viscera, a.k.a. Mabel, a.k.a. King Mabel, Big Daddy V, the late Nate Nelson Fraser Jr., a wrestler when I was a kid, like when he was Mabel. Yeah, I enjoyed him. I thought he was pretty cool. I was starting to cool off on him when he became uh, Viscera because, you know, I think the word Viscera means poo or something like that or like some kind of gross bodily fluid. Uh so we had the classic, you know, big fellas outpowering the little guys. Uh, Viscera, you know, kick and Viscera is just kicking out of all the moves that they do. And Midian eats a spear. And there we go. The Ministry of Darkness is eliminated. Next up, Draws and Prince Albert. This uh, Albert was very new in the business, and he was a... A blue chipper, as JR would say, a, a young up-and-comer I thought would have, would have had a bright future with the right, uh, maybe the right gimmick, maybe they're a, a little bit more charisma because he was very, very wooden on the microphone, but he didn't need to be because he was a giant hairy dude who was badass in the ring, would always get the shave your back chance, much like Miguel Perez and George the Animal Steel behind him. And I'm saying that as a relatively hairy man, but not a walking carpet like uh, like Albert was at this point in time. And just a side note, sadly, this was, the I believe, the last pay-per-view appearance of Draws, a.k.a. you know Darren Draws, Dov, Puke, uh, the, the quote-unquote third member of LOD 2000. <sighs> I mean, yeah. 
around uh, September, October, he was in a dark match with D'Lo Brown. You know, D'Lo Brown was going for the running powerbomb. Uh, something something went wrong. They slipped, and, you know, Draz wound up uh, paralyzed. He wound up, uh, they thought he was going to be uh, quadriplegic, and, uh, you know, he, he he was paraplegic. He could use his arms, and they were saying, you know, I hope, uh, hopefully he'll walk. And, you know, as far as I know, he hasn't walked since. Uh, and, you know, D'Lo Brown was, you know, it just absolutely distraught. You know, there's all these shoot interviews. There's some shoot interviewers where he talks about this and he just breaks down. And it's uh, horrible to see, you know, uh, a wrestler who is just, you know, getting uh, his career off to a start, you know, an accident, accidents happen. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a nice story, you know, D'Lo Brown goes to the hospital at draws and draws is like, no man, this isn't your fault. Uh, just, uh, well, you know, this isn't your fault. Don't, don't beat yourself up. And I, I think he, he did for a little while. And, uh, at least for a while after this, Prince Albert wore, uh, you know, a picture of Darren, of Darren on his, uh, on his trunks and, you know, kudos to WWE, you know, gave, gave draws a job for a couple of years, you know, writing on WWE.com doing the, uh, I can't remember what his column was called, but I, I read it every single time because I, I was a big Draws fan. I, I enjoyed his unique look and gimmick. And, you know, of course, we know he was, uh, you know, he's going to puke from uh, from beyond the mat. Uh, I don't know how Draws is doing these days, but as far as as far as I know, he is he's still alive. He likes to he likes to hunt. He's got like a nice little motorized scooter thing it kind of looks like professor x in a way uh yeah so prince albert is eliminated with a downward spiral and oh boy here comes the soon to be apa the acolytes bradshaw and farouk just the two of the toughest meanest most badass wrestlers on the roster these were the two guys who like in the locker room who would you know would set you straight and if you you know bradshaw well we we all know his uh his tendencies backstage and i can't tell you what they were because i am blocked by jbl and i consider that an honor because he is a dick so clothesline from hell eliminates edge and christian they had a great strong outing in this match and then we see bob and crash the holly cousins the fighting holly cousins come out to this match and they are eliminated, and the Acolytes are the number one contenders to the tag team titles. They will face the winners of the title match later in this card. Excuse me, late, right here now. The hardcore title is on the line with, with the big boss man defending against Al Snow, and we see Road Dog coming out uh, to cut a promo during this. I believe he either had an injury or he wasn't booked. And he come out with those douchebag gold tinted shades from '99. You remember those ones. And then he is interrupted by the first pay-per-view appearance of Chris Jericho, who dubs himself at this event the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, a moniker that he would definitely continue to use. And he was talking a lot like WCW Jericho here calling, you know, summer sham, raw is snore. And 
just having a a fun promo here. He's just like, you know, going back and forth and telling uh, Road Dog to spell this word that I wrote, langu- I don't know. Jericho was acting like a smug, smart prick, and he's like, yo, yeah, if you think you're smart, spell this word. And it was like, you spell D-O-double-G, we'll spell this long word I can't pronounce that I wrote down, but I have chicken scratch, and according to one of my old friends who I actually met this summer in 99, I have the penmanship of a drunken crab. So this, of course, revolves around Pepper, uh, Al Snow's pet, pet Chihuahua, I guess Chihuahuas were all in the craze in here because uh, Yo Quiero Taco Bell. Remember those commercials? You're you're an old fella like me. So Road Dog kind of gets on the house mic and does a de facto commentary, but mumbles and stumbles and <laughs> just throughout the whole thing. I think maybe he uh, got a little bit on uh, Matt Riddle's level at, at a little bit during the show, if you know what I mean. Um, so... Before before anything here, before Bossman comes out, Alice climbs the set to kind of surprise Bossman with a with a flying attack, and there's a it's like there's like oh something about bring Queen Latifah was muttered here. It's like what was Queen Latifah a thing in '99? I guess so. So there's a nothing but a bunch of hardcore plunder, baby. So Road Dog follows them backstage. He's like hey, you call this in the ring, I'll call it back here. So he just kind of doing a Really bad job. Road Dog even says at one spot in the match, "Whoa, that was fake!" Exposing the business, dude. And you know, Al, you know, throws a stool at Big Boss Man because I guess they needed a stool sample for the doctor back there. And then a clearly empty dog kennel, which was allegedly supposed to contain Pepper, but camera work was showing right there. Hey, there's nobody in this dog kennel, so. What does Boss Man do? He he does his classic Boss Man Behaving Badly segment, which was made famous by the Attitude Era podcast. Go back and listen to their backlog at this point in time where they talk about that. Oh, man, that was fun. Uh, yeah, he used, he, he used the dog kennel as a weapon and just whips it whips it across the backstage area. Like, oh, no, Pepper's in there. Oh, bad. And then we see the Pepsi product placement of the night. Is Coke Okay. No, I asked for Pepsi, but by the way, I'll ask for Coke. And if they say Pepsi is okay, no, I'll get root beer instead. Hmm, I'm sorry, I just yanked my headphones down. And then I see, hey, look, that's my mom's old van. That looked like an Aerostar backstage. Now they're going outdoors. King references the the terrible Blair Witch Project. He's like, oh, yeah, because they're out in the open when, you know, the camera's shaking and, oh, ugh. Yeah, that movie stank. And now uh, they go to Blue's Alley, a bar across the street, which very well could have been the inspiration for the the bar, the the friendly tap or the bar backstage area in No Mercy. So they see a whole bunch of plunder. We see a urinal cake. Man, that's I, don't, I that's gross. Yeah, using a urinal cake as a weapon. I don't know if. Uh, you put it in anyone's mouth, but oh, that is got to be full of bacteria. Even if that's a new one, it's still poisonous. It's cleaning supplies. I'm a ja- I was a janitor. Don't uh, don't mess with cleaning supplies because they will rip your stomach apart. And no, 
I never tried to drink any of them if you're if you're gonna ask. And we see a moonsault off of the pool table, and that pool table has to get refelted. That costs a lot of money, guys. I hope you fronted the bill. So boss man uh, sneak attacks Road Dog for I don't know what hits him with a night hits him with something. And then, you know, Road Dog hits him with a nightstick. Al Snow uses two pool balls to hit Bossman in the balls. A beer bottle gets smashed. Al borrows a chain from, from a fan. And, yeah, here we go. The pool balls to the nutsack. And Al Snow is the new hardcore champion yet again. And he runs to the backstage area to only to see... Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie, BWO, 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 uh, backstage trying to mess with Pepper. Al Snow stops them. He gives them a big old, big old bunch of punches and whatnot. And yeah, there we go. That's the end of the hardcore title match. You know, this was, this is fun. I mean, I, I enjoy the hardcore division. Of course, you know, some of the chair shots directly to the head are kind of tough to look at in in these eyes, but, you know, at, at, let, let, let's watch this with 1999 eyes, or try to at least. Speaking of something we shouldn't watch with 1999 eyes, the women's division in the WWE at this point in time. Oh, boy. Tori versus Ivory for the women's championship. This match was revolved around, oh, the bad... The bad women's tropes, you know, skank, slut, the hair, the hair. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just gonna. <clears throat> that's all it was. This was build up. <clears throat> Pardon me again. I'm going to take a sip from the. No, I'm not. I dropped my water bottle. This is making live on air. I do one take, folks. You're gonna get all my bloopers, patrons. Pardon me. So, yeah, Ivory defending her women's title. She, she Ivory's a legit badass, and she was taking part in this, in this degrading bullshit. Tori <clears throat> never belonged in a wrestling ring. Like, my goodness, she was terrible. So this is you know all revolved around you know writing the word skank and slut on Tori and oh. Out she comes, and the, oh, okay, oh, Ivory's trying to take off her top and expose her tits. Oh, oh, here's a disqualification or a roll-up or, or something. Oh, out comes Luna to no reaction. Yep, okay. Now we have a classic Rock promo backstage, and The Rock, for a change, interviews Michael Cole. What's this, a 13-cent tie? And we had the classic, you know, smell the rock's cooking because the rock is facing Billy Gunn in a quote unquote kiss my ass match. Next up is the Lion's Den match between Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman. Weapons are legal. And, you know, Ken Shamrock was wearing his uh, No Mercy attire in this match, you know, the classic lime green trunks. Why Ken Shamrock was in No Mercy is beyond me because this was his last pay-per-view appearance and No Mercy came out the following year. And I look at this and it's like, oh, he got a big uh, UFC kind of octagon, although it was more like uh, whatever else, a gun. I don't, 
I only know hexagon, pentagon, and octagon. So maybe this was some kind of different, uh, different shape. So there was no pin, no submission, submission, only TKO or pass out or referee stoppage or what have you. So we see a whole whack of submission attempts. Oh, okay. I guess you're going to lock this in and make them pass out in pain. Okay. And, you know, we see a whole bunch of ramming into the cage, a nice sidekick. Uh, Kendo sticks get involved. Uh, and Blackman, he was getting a bunch, and Blackman just gets the absolute piss knocked out of him. And then, and Blackman starts to get, get some himself. He puts a, he takes these two uh, karate sticks, does a drum solo on him as if he was Neil Pert. And then Ken finally gets the kendo stick and gets one big nasty shot right in the head and wins. He gets a good pop. This was his last appearance, like pay-per-view wise. He had a couple of more. TV appearances as he was getting into a feud with Chris Jericho that, you know, that, that never came to be. So Godspeed Ken Shamrock. I you know hope he's doing well now. And I'm going to take a quick commercial break here. And you're going to hear from some of my friends on Russell Attic radio. And then I am going to cover the last couple of matches from SummerSlam 1999 Stay tuned. Coming up next is the Love Her or Leave Her match between Test and Shane McMahon. Ah, Test, the late, great Andrew Martin... A man who has nonsense lyrics for an entrance theme. Also see the first SmackDown theme, which I included in this show, and D'Lo Brown's initial Danger at the Door entrance theme. Ah, Shane McMahon in a wrestling match. Man, 20 years. Man, time flies. Wait, hold on. Yeah, he's wrestled at the last... Two, three SummerSlams? Oh, jeez. Well, yeah. Remember when Shane McMahon was actually over as a heel and didn't have, you know, like, go-away heat instead of heel heat? Man, fun times. So this was a match in which um, if Test won, he could date Shane's sister, Stephanie McMahon. So this is either a schoolyard fight in kindergarten at recess or I don't know this, this the premise of this is just so stupid but you know what it was emotional it was a very innocent sweet storyline like this was Stephanie pre this was when Stephanie was at her hottest in my mind because she was just you know didn't have her boob job you know, didn't have all the rest of her plastic surgery, didn't look like a friggin' McMahon. She she looked like the cute, innocent, you know, girl next door, like the like the Topanga of the uh, WWE universe. So Shane McMahon was just the jealous brother of the girl who was like 
you know, no, you're not going to date my sister. I know what's good for my sister, blah, blah, blah. Uh, th these are consenting adults, Shane. Like, my goodness. I I'd understand maybe if they the – Shane, I mean, I mean, Vince, where was – oh, right, Vince at Fully Loaded. He was, quote, unquote, written off of WWE TV forever because Stone Cold defeated The Undertaker for the WWE title again. But Vince was back within three weeks of this, and he would be the WWE champ. Oh, boy. Oh, I got a cover on Forgiven 99. Oh, no. Oh, hell from hell. Oh, sweet wrestling Jesus. Oh, boy. So, test. Uh, this was, you know, his first year in the company. He was just starting to come into his own. He was your your typical big man wrestler. Um Fellow Canadian, Canadian, he actually grew up uh, an hour, I think, north or so, you know, outside of where I grew up. You know, he was from Oshawa, I was from Cannington, and then in an opposite direction, which I think might have been east or west. I don't know my directions, folks, but, you know, Bobby Roode was from Peterborough, which is about a 30-minute drive from Oshawa. They actually have a Ontario Hockey League rivalry going Oh, all the way back to when Bobby Orr played for the Oshawa Generals. Yeah, that far back. Uh, so, the Mean Street Posse had been a thorn in the side of, of Test and, you know, much of the WWE at this point in time. So, in the weeks leading up to SummerSlam, Test decides to take him out. What happened to Willie Green? Am I the only person who actually remembers Willie Green from the Mean Street Posse? There was another member, like you got you got Rodney, Joey, like Rod, Rodney, Joey Abs, uh, Pete Gas, and Willie Green. I haven't seen Willie Green since WrestleMania 15. People, like, am I crazy? Am, am I thinking of something else? Is this the Mandela effect? Uh, seriously, help me out. You know what? I'm going to be googling live on he air here as I go. So we see we see the whole deal where each week uh, test takes out the the, the 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 mean street posse you know with you know different injuries you know host oh, take your yeah willie p green former former member oh billy p and willie green there you go there's two former members of the mean street posse i guess they're just you know they're just you know your your, your one shot deals yeah there we go huh, i'm not going crazy yet so you know, they come out in the cat, like, they each have, like, you know, one of them has, like, an arm in a sling. Another one has, a neck, like, Pete Gas. He always wore the neck brace, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's definitely ch channeling uh, his inner Bobby Heenan here. And, yeah, and they were all, Shane McMahon's coming out, and then it's like, you hear that that awesome Wing <laughs> Street Posse theme, which I had to include in this. It's cheesy, it's shit, but I love it. So the posse comes out and accompanies Shane to the ring, and there is a uh, oh hey, there's a couch. There's a couch at ringside. It's like that that gag from Family Guy's Blue Harvest. Like I know we're in the middle of a serious mission right now, but I'm taking it. I'm taking that couch. Okay, Han Solo, go for it. Uh, so before the match, you know, Test is jumped backstage to get a little bit of heat on him to give him a little bit of a. But give Shane a bit of an advantage and uh, something for Tess to kind of uh, 
crawl out from under. Because Test, Test was a big boy. He was almost seven feet tall, and you can't teach that. Um, so, yeah, so Oshawa's own Test, you know, I've, I've mentioned before that the last WWE house show or live wrestling anything that I've ever been to was all the way back in 2003 in Test's hometown of Oshawa. He wrestled Scott Steiner in a match that ended in about two minutes where Scott Steiner chased Stacy Keebler around the ring a few laps and then gets in the ring and boom, big boot by test and the match was over and everyone went home happy because, you know, Andrew Martin was the hometown boy. Uh, Oshawa just loved him. It's tragic that we lost him so soon, you know, just shy of his 34th birthday and, me having just turned 35, I'm like, it makes me think, you know, although I've never struggled with, uh, with substance abuse or anything like that, or, or drugs, I'm like, uh, just, it just makes you think, right. It, uh, yeah. So yeah, the whole Shane McMahon wearing the custom baseball Jersey this time, it's like, you know, Shane O'Mac, you know, I passed the test and you'd have ones that'd be like, you know, Shane's like, you know, instead of Austin 316, it's like, Shane 632, or he'd have custom ones that would always be something against his opponents. Even as recently as, uh, I think Shane McMahon might have had something at SummerSlam when he wrestled KO. I didn't really notice. Uh, or he had one like when he wrestled AJ Styles. Like No matter who he, who he was against, he always had like a, cust- a cool custom baseball jersey. It'd be like, you know, against the big show. Which way did he go? Which way did he go? So... You know, Test, he, he's a big guy. He had the look. He reminded, well, to me, he was just like, hey, he looks like the blonde Kevin Nash. This guy could be something. I mean, he was the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, he was always going for, like, the ECW title. He had a run with the Hardcore title just after this. Yeah. So the posse have a free couch and a bunch of champagne. Like, okay, so they're they're just going to they're just going to have a party right here. Right here at ringside. So we see your classic street fight, hardcore plunder, baby. You get a you get a triple triple team, or should I say a quadruple team, because there's four people on one against test. You see a mailbox that is, hey, that's that's from McMahon's house. That's from Shane's house. So you get a mailbox shot, you get a do not enter sign. What is it? Do not enter Stephanie. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, giggity. So then we see a nice glass framed picture of the posse. It's just such self-indulgent, hilarious comedy. Of course, that gets smashed over Test's head, and there's glass all over the place. And we see uh, one thing I, I'm going to try to mention in here is just the plethora of signs we see in the crowd at, at wrestling events, especially during the Attitude Era. I mean, if I if I go to a wrestling event in the future and you wave a sign in front of me, I will rip it down because you're blocking my view and that's rude. Even if your sign is funny, like this guy's that said, I poop too much. Me too, sign guy. Me too. <clears throat> so we see Shane hit a nice reverse elbow and then he goes off the top rope and hits a spiral tap. And a young AJ Styles is sitting there like, I could wrestle that guy someday, and I could do that move too. So we see a power bomb, we see a ref bump, and then Shane does his classic announced table spot with a flying elbow to the outside. Vintage Shane McMahon. 
And, you know, we see uh, a kick out from that as they try to put a limp test back in the ring. Gets kicked, gets kicked out. You know, we see a cast shot and we see, you know, the Mean Street Posse get in there again. And then out come the Stooges. Patterson and Briscoe to save the day to beat the living crap out of the posse. Oh, no, th this is a t these two teams just ah it, it's it was comedy like I the Stooges are just someone I hold in such high regard not the, not only because they are like big time legends in the business it's because at this point in time when they were retired like road agents and producers for for McMahon they could go out there they could sell they could do comedy and just nail everything to a T. I, that coffee is for Mr. McMahon. Like, I dare have a, a woman snap me. I can't do impressions of anybody on the roster. I'm sorry. So we see, you know, uh, Tess kicks out of all these uh, moves by, by Shane McMahon. And finally, we see the pump handle slam. We see the Macho Man elbow. A one, two, three. And Tess wins Stephanie. Stephanie comes up, celebrate, they hug. I'm like, did I ever see them kiss on screen? I think they've kissed on screen. They didn't like, you know, full on, you know, tonsil hockey like, you know, her and Triple H. But I, maybe it was it was awkward or maybe it, it's like a Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch situation where, hey, we're dating. Now we're going to say it on commentary all the fucking time. Yeah, no. So next up we have the tag team championship on the line with the unholy alliance of the big show and the undertaker challenging Kane and X-Pac. It's like, you know, this was just a very personal rivalry. Like, you know, Taker and big show target uh, the much, much smaller X-Pac and, you know, Kane was the big brother tag team partner to, to, to Xbox, like, you hurt John, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Kane used that little uh, voice box thing, and then finally, it's like, hey, Kane, tell him, tell him what you think. It's like, you don't need this thing anymore. Then you hear Kane without the voice box, like, sock it. It's like, dude, I know you can talk. You were fake Diesel and Isaac Yankum. I mean, it was obvious so this entire match is two strange bedfellows tag teams shout out to you willie t right yeah, strange bedfellows but are they top tier talent well maybe not xbox so you have this terrible remix of an entrance theme by the unholy alliance i'm like i wanted to hear the awesome undertaker um Ministry of Darkness team he started using around mid-1998. Like, he used it at uh, SummerSlam 98. That was a banger. And this was just, what kind of mish, Jim Johnson mishmash half-assed crap was this? And that's exactly how this match went. This was a terrible match. This was Taker's, one of his, this was his last pay-per-view appearance until, um, uh, Judgment Day 2000 when he returned as the American Badass because he was having a bunch of lingering injuries. He wasn't he wasn't vintage Taker at this point in time, and his gothic cult leader ministry 
that gimmick was getting kind of goofy. Like when they were starting to, like, you know, crucify Stone Cold Steve Austin or like, you know, cut himself and put his blood on Midian as like a symbolic, uh, hey, you're a druid now, you're a, uh, accept the Lord of Darkness as your savior. Like, yeah, uh, I was not quite a Christian at this point in time, but I was going to church youth group and I, I was getting, I was getting doses of the word. I was getting preached, but I'm like, that made me kind of uncomfortable. It was, it was, it was kind of, so yeah, Kane and Big Show win. I mean, not Kane and Big Show, my goodness, Big Show and Taker win this match. They win the tag titles, but not long after this, they drop it to the Rock and Sock Connection, thank God. Coming up next, uh, King of the Ring winner, Billy Gunn versus The Rock. Hey, my name is Billy, and I just won King of the Ring. But there's just one problem. Everyone still thinks I absolutely suck. And there goes Billy Gunn's push. There goes his credibility. There go his balls. Right back up, Mr. Ass. Because not long after this, we saw the reformation of the New Age. <laughs> Why did I choose to do this? Oh, Mance, you're doing WCW and I'm doing... Well, Attitude Era is not bad, but 1999. Yikes. Come on, 2020. Let's go to the year 2000. I can't wait till January 2020, where I cover the street fight between Cactus Jack and Triple H. We're so close. Yeah, so this was a match where the loser had to had to kiss the ass, or Billy Gunn's like, oh, you're not going to kiss my ass. You're going to kiss this fat lady's ass. Holy crap, is that insulting and demeaning and degrading. I mean, she was probably all for it, but what? I don't even know who this lady was. I didn't research. I don't want to know. Uh, all I know is that my friends and I were watching this and we were like, we're like uh, hey, why don't we play Goldeneye for a couple of minutes? <laughs> I don't know if we actually did, but it was just one of those things. We're like, yeah, let's 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 look away. This this is gonna suck. I mean, it was your standard rock squash match. Billy Gunn tries to get a little bit of heat in, but you know, boom, rock bottom, people's elbow, it's over. So this is a King of the Ring winner. Excuse me. One of a few that didn't get a title shot. I mean, Ken Shamrock, I mean, he got a, at breakdown, you know, a couple of pay-per-views after King of the Ring 98, he was in a triple threat match in which the winner would be the number one contender to the WWE title. I mean, well, King Mabel, 95, wins King of the Ring. Main event, SummerSlam 95. Austin wins King of the Ring 96. Doesn't get a title shot until... When was his first WWE title shot? Uh, Revenge of the Taker in your house in May 97. I mean, yeah, they just flip-flopped here. And, you know, if you look back in my archives on Fretzelmania, F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania, on uh, Anchor.fm, but it's also on, you know, Apple. So if you go on your iPod your iphone and go back into you know the podcast app there you'll find my did i do a rebooking of king of the ring 99 maybe i did it in my blog but anyways uh spoiler alert in that king of the ring i don't have billy gunn win i in fact have china and 
you know what? If I didn't actually cover that, I'll do that on a future show here. So, yeah, I mean, the crowd was hot for The Rock. I mean, The Rock was already – he was already a main eventer. He was a former two-, three-time champion already at this point because, of course, you know, he had already broken away from the corporation. He had turned babyface. Uh he won the let's see he won he dropped the title to Stone Cold at Summers at WrestleMania. Yeah, he he was contending for the title. I mean, he wrestled the Taker for the title at King of the Ring, but did not win. So he was already making his way back up the card at this point. I think this was just filler because now we have the main event: Triple H versus Mick Foley versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWE title with special guest referee Jesse the. Guffner Ventura, and he comes out on the mic and says, like, you know, some people say that it's an abomination for me to come out here, but I love wrestling, uh, blah, 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 babyface Minneapolis, because I think he was from their promo, and out comes, you know, Triple H in China, and I'm, 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 th I'm thinking back to this, and like, I watched Monday Night Raw religiously at this point in time, because as I was recouping from surgery, you know, my therapy in a way was wrestling i mean hey that's i watched monday night raw you know smackdown wasn't debuting yet and i didn't get the channel smackdown was on until 2003 so yeah th this this was i don't want to say it was my escape i didn't need that kind of uh thing but hey when you're recouping from major surgery you need an outlet for something so i monday night raw wrestling uh, all the like the smack the SmackDown video game for PS One. I mean that was all, all up for me, man. So yeah, the lead up to this had China as the number one contender, and I thought, okay, China and Steve Austin. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would have loved to see that. I would, you know what? I would have been game for like a one day title reign for China for the title. It would have been a massive PR PR move or a massive something, but. I don't know if Steve was really up for that. Uh, I don't want to speak for Steve Austin because I don't know him personally. I've never met him and I've never heard him talk about this. So you see China kind of lose her number one contendership in a way and Mick Foley gets involved and then Mick Foley and Triple H have a number one contender match and they're like double pinned kind of like the Chris Jericho Triple H title match from what raw and like what oh five it was oh four something like that so it was nothing but but a way like okay you know what you're both getting in there screw it you're you're shane mcmahon no you're both you're both getting a title shot so you see a whole bunch of plunder and you, there was a double count and now it's like this is no holds barred and i think oh we're getting a preview of war rumble 2000 right here and you know jesse ventura and if if you want to listen to some interesting stuff from Jesse Ventura, I mean, he had a he was on Talk as Jericho a handful of times doing some conspiracy theories, and you know what? He has some pretty interesting, intriguing, and good thoughts. I mean, I won't get into them here, but I'll have to say I I support his. You know, I, I I'm kind of with him on his um, JFK notion. Uh, if you want to listen to that, go back into Jericho's archives and and listen. Or I think Ventura might even have a show of his own. I'm not sure, but his conspiracy theories, they're they're worth a listen. Even if you don't believe in them, if you disagree with them, they're 
they're cool. And I, I kind of like hearing about different variations and different thoughts about, about certain things. So, you know, like, 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 like lizard people, for example, <laughs> I mean, that's silly, but Hey, I think it's kind of cool. Um, so I was not a fan of this match. I mean, all like Foley was kind of working hurt. Austin was, you know, he was just months away from surgery and he wasn't really himself. I don't think he was really him from this point on. I don't know how much of himself he actually was for the rest of his career. As much as it pains me to say, cause I loved like Steve Austin this point in time, he was my favorite, like bar none by a long shot. It was Steve Austin stone cold all the way. Um, and, you know, I remember there's an infamous line that uh, Ventura said just after this when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Let's put a wrestler on the White House. Let's not. So, yeah, we got the entrances. You know, Mankind comes out. He gets a great pop. Triple H gets all the heat and he comes out. I forgot he wore that chainmail vest. That was funny. Uh, Austin gets the pop of the night, as usual. Uh, Triple H gets double teamed. We see uh, Austin and Foley working hurt. We see a pedigree reverse into a slingshot. We see the stunner. Triple H hits them with the chair, but Jesse won't count. What's this bullshit? You use the chair, I'm not counting. And then, you know, Shane, Shane McMahon comes into the ring to give out and uh, to complain to the referee. Uh, he eats a stunner, and Jesse Ventura throws him out of the ring. And Shane just sells like a boss, like he always does. And then he out his way um, when he threw out Shane. He's like, that's for your old man, you little bastard. And, you know, Mankind hits the double mandible claw, one with the sock finger, one with the regular finger. Gross. I hope you washed your hands, buddy. Uh, then there's a whole bunch of mishmash and confusion and a double arm DDT on Steve Austin. And then Mick Foley wins the title. Okay, cool. Uh, this was just a bit of a confusing mishmash of a match. You know, the rumor and the innuendo may have been to some thinking, I guess, Steve didn't want to drop the title to Triple H. But, you know, that's that's not true. I think they, they were just doing this to, to pop Nick, to pop the ratings for a surprise. And, you know, of course, you know, Mick Foley lost the WWE title the next night on Raw to Triple H, who then unfortunately finally had his first of many WWE title reigns. I've never been a fan of Triple H. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not really a fan of him today. I mean, like, yeah, Papa H NXT had yay Triple H picture when you win the NXT title. Okay. He's got a smart mind for the business, but he's always been like the snobby, prissy, sissy blue blood to me, even though, even though he only had that gimmick for like two years. It's like that right there. I looked at that. I was like, I'm never going to like that man. But then he did DX and I liked him for a bit. And then when he turned heel on Shawn Michaels, I never looked back and I've never liked him. So yeah, that was a little bit of a trip down back to August, 1999, SummerSlam 99 and some, yeah, there's, there's some cool movies and video games and stuff. There was not much TV happening. At this point in time, you know, because, you know, the I'm basically going to cover, like, each episode of The Simpsons as we go. And I think at this point in time, like, we're just a few months away from Family Guy. 
or did Family Guy already premiere? I forget when it did. Uh, Futurama had just premiered. You know, the PJs, that's like a claymation animation kind of style show that had Eddie Murphy. And it was actually fairly entertaining, if you remember that. So, yeah, next month in September, I don't know when in September, because that's kind of a busy month for me. Uh, we're going to be changing some stuff over at, at my work. It, it's complicated to talk about here. It just basically has to do with uh, like how we're going to be labeling our shelves. Um, and then my brother's getting married in the middle of the month. My, my dad's birthday is on the 11th. So it's just going to be, you know, kind of an action packed September, but I will still have time to do this and, and to be on the game changer. Maybe I'll miss one. Maybe I'll miss one or two shows because of the wedding, but that's, cross that bridge when we get there. So I hope you enjoyed this premiere edition of the 20 Bell Salute. I have been Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the legendary JF. You can find me on Wrestle Attic Radio Sundays with Nate the F and Great at Real F and Game. Give Wrestle Attic Radio a follow at addict underscore wrestle and support us on Patreon as we will have exclusive shows from each and every one of us from the game changer podcast to the kings of the rings podcast and not your mama soap opera to one of my personal favorites the gift of podcast and the fourth wall of wrestlecast as well another another great one they're all great they're all great so folks thank you very very much for listening god bless you and mr fretz loves you